Hello, Bonsai friends. This is Evan Pardue of Underhill Bonsai, and welcome to episode 41 of Little Things for Bonsai People, the podcast. And today it's actually going to be a little bit of a different kind of arrangement for this episode. Uh, I was not able to join Mike on this episode today when he was interviewing Laurent Darrow. He uh, had to arrange a time that was outside of his time zone that was kind of weird for me. So Mike had to had to catch up with uh, Laurent in a, you know, in a unique scheduling situation. So but uh, but we'll be playing that audio track uh, basically right after this intro for you guys to listen to. It's a really good interview. Guys get to know Laurent and his unique style that he calls Burton style. But uh, before we get into that part of the episode, I'd like to thank our patrons that sponsor our show. This this show is sponsored by our amazing patron list of our Bonsai Best Buds. You can go over to patron.com forward slash little things for Bonsai people, and you can become a $5 patron. That's the supporting level of the show that you can get your name basically uh, put into this list, and you'll hear your name every single episode in the beginning of each one. Uh, starting that list off with Tori Solis, Vicky Off, Warehouse Rat, Boyd Snellgrove, Ricky Ruins, Joshua Bentley, Snappy Chappers, Ryan Giordano, Joel Jenkins, Justin Knight, Backyard Bonsai Australia, Green Witch Gardens, Taylor Peacock, Chase Pertweet, Austin Atkins, Karen Codswell, uh, Urian N, Louis Torres, AC Castle, and a brand new bonsai best bud uh bonsai marine just joined um right before the launch of our previous episode so if you didn't hear your name on the previous episode the those episodes were recorded they were recorded very close together so i apologize if you if we missed out on uh saying your name bonsai marine welcome to the bonsai best buds and uh welcome to the patreon and discord chat uh, for you guys who don't know, if you become a patron with our show, you get to join our Discord chat with the other best buds and you get to share your bonsai, your bonsai projects, your progress photos. We take questions and and critiques from the Discord and we get to have some fun. We get to share other things other than just bonsai there. We talk about you know our pets, our side hobbies that we like, music that we li- like to listen to. Uh, while we work on our bonsai and everything that is bonsai adjacent, um, it's a fun group. It's a it's a really nice way to interact and kind of build a little community around the show and kind of see what everybody else is doing. And uh, a lot of our listeners are all from all over. We have uh, listeners. I have a a uh, analytics that I can track, and I can see we have listeners everywhere from United States, and then we have listeners in. Mexico down into uh, South America, as far as different countries down there, um, it's too many countries to name off. As we go through the list of uh, of of uh, people listening, all, as well as in Europe, UK, even Africa, uh, Asia, and Australia, we've got a lot of listeners from Australia. I see that uh, a good handful of our uh, bonsai best buds are Australian, um, and then we have Philippines and. New Zealand and just all these other countries that I never thought we would be able to reach 
uh, I'd like to thank everybody out there for listening. It's it's amazing that we have this many listeners and at, especially at this international level. Um, but yeah, let's uh, let's go ahead and also thank our editor, Matt O'Donnell. Uh, Matt is a is a music producer and bass player based out of Nashville, Tennessee. He's been working in music for quite some time and he's very good at what he does. He makes our show sound amazing. He makes us sound smart. He cleans everything up, makes everything nice and tight so that you guys can get weekly episodes from the bone, the little, little, the little bonsai crew of little things for bonsai people. Um, and you can go over to his website, Matt, O-D-O-N-E-L-L.com, MattO'Donnell.com. Uh, he has a contact form there if you want to work on your own project with him as far as a, your own podcast show. He said he's open to just about any subject matter when it comes to podcasting. He he's also talked to me about him about doing his own project in the near future, which is some exciting stuff. We'll be talking about Matt with that in the future. And then um, also, if you're a musician and you're looking for some audio engineering, he's your guy. So go check out Matt O'Donnell. He also has an Instagram uh, under the same name. Um, so go check it out. And without further ado, let's get over to Mike and Lawrence interview. Hey guys, this is Mike Lane with little things for bonsai people, the podcast. Uh, I believe this is episode 41, and I'm here today by myself, but I'm joined with uh, Laurent Daru from France, uh, the originator of Kozumiku or Cosmic Bonsai Style. Um, he's going to be discussing that with us today. So how are you doing today, Laurent? Yeah, I'm very good. Awesome. 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 So Laurent's uh, one of the, inv he's the inventor of the Cosmic Bonsai Style. Um, he's published two books so far on the Cosmic Bonsai style and um, is traveling, coming to the U.S. Uh, starting on September 14th, and he'll be here for a little over a month, uh, maybe a month and a half. So if you guys get a chance, he'll be coming by Florida. He'll also be in New England. Uh, he'll be in Louisiana, and then he'll finally be in L.A., uh, California. So if you're in one of those areas, just go ahead and reach out to either me, Evan, the podcast, uh, just reach out to one of us and we'll go ahead and uh, steer you in the right direction. So, um, Loren, a couple of things I guess that we'll start on is I read your book and I know you kind of are mostly self-taught. Um, but one of the things your, your preferred material is kind of Chinese elm. Is that correct? Yeah, because it's the faster. Yeah. So flexible and uh, it's growing very fast and the leaves are very little so and it can support the scarification so it's because it's my favorite spacing yeah I, i'm actually doing a lot of spacing i saw that yeah um one of the things i liked though that i read in your book was like kind of the the humble or the 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 humility behind using a chinese elm you know it's it's often material that a lot of people overlook and think of as like beginner material or whatnot but you've really taken it to a level that proves that that material can be used for all sorts of things. Yeah, and it's especially many people started with supermarket trees. Mm -hmm. it's, most part of the time, it's helm. Yeah, and so I started with that when I was fifteen. So it's and I don't understand why people don't like it. 
probably because it's coming from China and it's a mass production. That's what it is, I think. My my argument, because we have similar trees, we have like the dwarf jades are really popular here in Florida. And I think um, a lot of people kind of turn their nose up at them. And the only thing I can I can think why, because it's great material for bonsai. The only reason I can think that people don't like them is they're common. You know, it's it's something that you see very, very often. And so unless it's done in an incredibly unique way, like the way that you've kind of used them, people don't really think too much. You know, they, they just think it's another another. Um, they've seen a lot of them. So the, the problem is the people that said uh, when bonsai, they, they just see the spacey, but they don't see what you can do with the, the spacey. Right. They, they to me, the space, it doesn't really matter. Have to grow fast, have to be strong. And uh, of course, small leaves, it's more easy because you don't have to reduce them. But as long as you, you can play with it, the quality of the start of the material doesn't matter to me. Nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Me too. And so, um, so you first, what made you decide to go to... I know you you traveled through Southeast Asia and whatnot. Can you kind of walk us through like why you decided to to undertake Southeast Asia? Most most people tend to go to Japan right away, you know. And uh, and and I was personally one of the reasons I was really drawn to your work is I'm a big fan of the Taiwanese style, and I you know I try to emulate that a lot. And you don't see that a lot, and so I thought it was really really interesting that you chose that route as opposed to Kind of going and apprenticing uh, like so many others in Japan. Uh, it's it's very it's a very interesting question. The the first time I decided to go to Taiwan is because I had a shop in in Bordeaux, close to. I was living in this city at that time, and I was like probably twenty, and uh, I didn't have money. I was a student, and I was going to that shop all the time, but it was fucking expensive, and I couldn't buy nothing, no any trees. And this guy was very good, and his style was kind of mixed between Taiwanese, Chinese, and Japanese. So he has really a personal style. I, I, give, I give him a, um, a regards in, uh, in, my, in my second volume. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, this guy told me he learned in Taiwan. And uh, everybody wanted me to go to, to Japan. But uh, first of all, I, I don't like you know, authority. And uh, Japan, <laughs> yeah. you know, they are, they have, you have to do exactly what they want. And you have to be like a slave, uh, literally. Right. And I hate that. It's impossible for me. I, I, I didn't have made the army because of that. They kept me for one week. After I, I quit because they, I, I don't like people to tell me what to do. <laughs> so, so Taiwanese was more, I'd say, free, free-minded to me. Yeah. So you just go there. You go to the nursery. You, you, you make your proof. You see if you're good or not and uh, check your level and then you, you you work amazing training after one or two weeks no in Japan, you will never put your hands in a masterpiece before three four five years maybe yeah yeah so, that's true so i learned much more and especially in taiwan you don't have one master you know when when you're when you're a master by, by someone in japan you choose one sometimes two but the maximum and then you have to follow all the rules from him for like, I think the process is seven or nine years. Ryan is, no, is knowing better than me because he's been to Kimura for years, but I think seven years, something like that. Yeah. And uh, in Taiwan, you can change your master every day. You go from a nursery to another. So I've been to low insurance. I've been to Chen Yans. I've been to 
well, they all they all called Chen. So I called yeah. them all Chen One, Chen Two, Chen Three. So yeah, it was I learned a lot, much more than in Japan. I think. Now, um, something I'm so curious about is the I I hear that a lot of their shapes come from paintings, come from you know calligraphy or whatnot. I hear these like rumors, uh, and there there seems to be a form, but almost no form in some regards. Like sometimes branches will emerge from inside of curves and they grow into the silhouette. Sometimes, uh, you know, they, they seem to choose branches that are at what the Japanese would consider like odd growth or, or growth from, from poor locations and they use it and they make these fantastic trees. So what is kind of the, what is the formula? Like what, what is the inspiration behind the movement and the bends and, you know, where do they, what is that style, I guess, is my question. It's like in every country. You don't have a really a Taiwanese style. Yeah. The only guy who is doing Taiwanese style is Chen Zhenyan. I, uh, I talk about him in my books. It's, for me, probably the best master I've ever seen in my life. Better than Kimura, better than Kato, better than everybody. He's, he's, uh, he's doing his tree, like breaking down every year for like 30 or 40 years without trying to make a shape. Right. So after 30 or 40 years, the, the, the pictures doesn't give justice. You have to be in his garden. Right. And if you, if you look at the tree from the start, it's just a cutting, it's just nothing. And you see 30 or 40 years later, you continue breaking and breaking and breaking and makes clarification. And you never try to make a triangle. And uh, the tree is putting himself the foliage by himself and it looked like really like the juniper in the mountains but except this guy except this guy everybody is doing japanese style in Taiwan. right except lomi chan also yeah lomi chan is doing something close to the cosmic bonsai yeah but he doesn't push the the limit so far because he's doing a style very complicated yeah it's going to be close to nature right yeah, that's something he's been a big inspiration of mine and a lot of a lot of us in the tropics. He was the first master I met in Taiwan. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that was that was one of the things that I really drew me was I I saw a similarity kind of in the shapes and whatnot. Not not too close, but I definitely saw that you there was a Taiwanese influence or at least like I saw a, this, a, this style is not Taiwanese. This style is really Lomincho style. Lomincho, yeah. And that that's what I mean is you more... You don't see that openly in other gardens. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I've noticed that. Like, he styles uh, his those pendunculo, the pedunculosas and whatnot. He styles them yeah. very unique. You know, I don't see that common. But all styles are very, very close. Except yeah. that he, he pushed the limit, then when the tree is finished, you make like a kind of triangle, like in nature. Right. And he doesn't try to put the branch under the pot and, and going further, something going beyond his, uh, his ideas. Right. Yeah. He stopped the tree just like every bonsai maker is do are doing. That's awesome. That's really, really cool. And so do they do a lot of scarification over there as well? Chen uh, Zhenyan is doing a lot. He yeah. did a lot of scarification? Most of them are doing on, on uh, juniper. Junipers, okay. All, all, particularly all of them are doing uh, scarification just to make a, a live vein very complicated. Right. Yeah. But but only in other spaces they don't. And um and I've been playing with like I've done shari work for for a while, shatamiki and and you know creating shari on junipers. But the scarification process that you discuss is something that I've kind of changed my thinking on that. 
and I've been doing more opening windows, like little eyelets and, um, and then letting the live vein kind of guide itself and then making my next decision based off of that. And I've noticed that seems to generate a much more complicated kind of life vein than just kind I mean, of drawing a shard. Use the scarification, except the two first, two, three first time you do it artificially, then the, the tree will guide you. Right. That's because what I've noticed. Then it's completely transforming the, the, the trunk. You know, it's kind of exchange. You do something, you react. You do something, you react. And then slowly by slowly, years after years, you don't recognize your tree. It's completely... I remember, like, when I started doing that, like, 20 years ago. Yeah. And everybody said, like, uh, deciduous tree will die if you do that. Right. But I said, holy tree are doing that naturally. And uh, I know many other spaces in Philippines that are doing that. You probably use these spaces. Uh, yeah. Uh, the bell, the blue bell. Blue bell, yeah. We have, uh, we grow a lot of those. Yeah, so if you go, if you just go to see blue bell in nature, in yeah. Philippines, you, you will see all this naturally. But I, I just do it artificially because I want my tree look like growing in another planet. Right. So many people tell me, oh, I see the hand of the man. I see that's the goal. Right. That's the goal. That's the goal, what I try to tell them too. The goal is to, see, to see the man work, but try to imagine this tree can grow, can grow this way on another planet. Oh, interesting. Interesting. Yeah. I like that a lot. Um, so moving on in that regards, um, I think what a lot of people are also interested in hearing about is obviously your displays. Um, your displays are are arguably some of the most artistic, um, really thought-provoking displays that I've seen. Um, I, I love the. I understand. That in Europe, most of them are forbidden. And, yeah, and you know that makes them to me that makes them all the more alluring. You know, mm. um, if you tell me I can't have something or do something, then that makes me want to have it and do it. So um, that, for example, the last, the last trophy, do you know that they forbid me to put the, the painting? The scroll, I saw that. Mm. Yeah, I, I saw that, and that's but a, all, all the story was dead because normally if you just put the soldier and you put the tree and you don't have to, the painting, you don't understand it's the World right. War III. Right. Uh, and especially a, this painting is from a friend of mine. He's a very famous painter. So I was very proud to, to, to show his painting because I, I like to... The tree was from my, my student. The painting yeah. was from my, from my friend. And uh, the soldier I buy, you know, from Ashley. And I, I like to, to cross... I think bonsai is too much in competition. We right. should go in collaboration. Yeah. Um, we had Michael Hagedorn on a couple episodes back. And one of the things that he's really big on right now, his kind of favorite thing he was saying is working in collaboration. So doing collaboration with other artists and yeah. And he was saying that that was, you know, really more intriguing to him than just the one element. And so one thing I, I see in your, your work that is really cool um, and that elevates it is that you don't just get, you know, uh, a robot, you get a very artistic robot an Ashley Woods robot. You don't just get a stand. You get a, a concrete slab with a, a custom fresco painted on it. Um, it's the, the attention to detail and the, the narrative that I think go together and make a, a really successful, um, kind of art piece. And so, uh, I think that a lot of us are, there are a lot of people here in the U.S. that are already excited to kind of display things under the cosmic bonsai paradigm. 
uh, I myself included, but I've heard tons of people talking about really cool ideas uh, where they're going to be using cosmic bonsai as the backdrop. And I, I'm really excited about that. You know, I think, and one thing I think where people get confused is that they feel that it's one thing over the other. And I don't think it has to be. I think you can have both. You know, I think that both can exist um, and you can enjoy both. I don't have any issue looking at Taiwanese trees versus Japanese trees versus Min Lo's trees. You know, I really see and appreciate all of them. So that's what they say in the organization in Europe. They, they tell me that I don't have my place in bonsai. <laughs> but I say, I'm bonsai master. So, yeah. Uh, I, what I say, you should go to a museum, you should go to, you know, another place of art to exhibit it. But I say, but this is my job. And it's just, it's just you, not in us open-minded. But if you look at my work and the Japanese work, I just appropriate myself the Western way. Mm -hmm. But I, it's, if you look at the Japanese tokonoma, it's just telling a story. Right. You know, the plant, the accent plant, the tree, the scroll, it's always autumn spring, uh, mountains, you know, all the triptych is always telling one story. It's exactly right. what I do, you know, yeah. but I just do it like what I'm concerned about is about the collapse because we are destroying this planet. So what I'm, I'm concerned about, what is emotionally touched me is that we are going straight to the wall. And right. I know every day I, I'm a happy guy. You see, I, I, I'm, I love my work because my, my job is really amazing. And, uh, just I want to express what I'm concerned about. I, I don't care about speaking about autumn, spring. I enjoy it every day, right. every season. I'm doing bonsai. So I want to express something different. And I want everybody doing this art express what he, he really is really concerned about. Well, I think that's, that's a really interesting point. And that's something that when I read your book, I, I walked away feeling both inspired, but also feeling a little guilty of my own kind of cognitive dissonance, you know, my own, my own, my own separation from, you know, this, this proposed love of nature, but at the same time, like I use and drink out of plastic bottles all the time. I do a lot of things that. Look at I, me, look at me. I'm, I'm going to come to Uris and I'm going to take a plane. Right. But if I was in that equation with myself, I would never take a plane anymore. I would stay in my garden, doing my trees, uh, hitting my egg chicken, my chicken eggs, and just, you know, being quiet. Right. But I'm not, you know, I want more money. I want to be famous. I, I'm human. You know, we, right. are, we are completely schizophrenic. <laughs> yeah, we are. Yeah. Yeah. And so, 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 so when people tell me uh, bonsai, uh, natural bonsai, I, it makes me crazy. It's yeah. like, how, how can it be natural? You take it from the wild. You put it in a pot. You get it every day. Right. Leave him alone. You and it, you, and you yeah. respect nature. Take pictures or just look at it. And that's, I think, that's the hardest part of of being a person. I think you know we've always been that way. Uh, we've always wanted to to not just look at something. We have to have it. You know, we have to to. Humans, we are selfish. Ex exactly, and we are building highways. We destroying forests. Yeah. It's, it's always, you know, it's, it's funny. Like, uh, I've always been a big fisherman, you know, I've always liked fishing and went lately in recent years, I've thought a lot about fishing and, and it's funny that like, I can't leave the fish alone. I, I have to like bring it closer and look at it and all that. And that's, you know, I could enjoy it 
just if I really wanted to enjoy nature, then I would leave the fish alone, you know? So there are a lot of interesting thoughts that, that the art provokes, you know, and, um, and continues to provoke, you know? So, uh, I do definitely enjoy the, 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 the funny thing is that it was not my intention. No, really, really like 20 years ago when I started doing that and my trees doesn't have the level I have now, but I, I, I just, I just wanted to express myself. I didn't want to provoke. Right now, I do it uh, now. More, more people tell me not to do. More, I'm doing something worse. Right, because they, they make me so many troubles for years that now I like to put my fingers, you know. On yeah, yeah, you like to you like <laughs> to push their buttons. Yeah, <laughs> I like that. I like that too. Um, so I think another thing that everybody is dying. Everybody always asks me is they want to know about the Ashley Woods figures, World War Robots. Um, you know, a lot of people want to know like about how you kind of got into that. How did you hear, like, did, did you read the comic book first and kind of. This, this is a friend of mine that, uh, that she'll show, uh, offer me a book from Ashley Wood that I didn't know. And he, he told me, uh, knowing your, your inspiration, you're going to like it. And of course I, I've been crazy from the first day. And then, then I started to go to, to buy many other books from him because he's mixing everything. This is exactly what I like. He's talking about Jesus Christ, robots, war, sex. It's, it's like a big, it's like a, a movie from Tarantino. Right. It's yeah. Like yeah. Completely crazy. Everything yeah. the same, the same story, you know, but everything worked. It's completely crazy, but it worked. That's cool. And um, finally, then I saw that he was selling some, some figures. And then I said, yeah, that's perfect for my, for my creation. So, so your creation came first. You basically, you basically kind of started doing the 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 idea for Cosmic Bonsai first, and then you you saw the robots after, and kind of fell in love with that world after. Is that correct? No, technically, I at first I bought the robots because I I love them. Just <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Collectors, you know, just like yeah. I was crazy having it in my my sh sh shelves. Yeah. Yep. Sorry, my vocabulary, my vocabulary is not that good. But I, I was just collecting them first, and then slowly by slowly, because my first attempt was to do something religious. Yeah, I want to speak about Jesus Christ, Joan of Arc, just like I used as the last trophy, and uh, and slowly by slowly I said, yeah, but my universe more about collapse, and then I started to create story with soldier robots and uh, atomic bomb kind of things that's so cool then, uh, then the the i used all all my collection in my personal heart that's cool that's awesome yeah you've definitely inspired me i've picked up a few um nothing too crazy but i've gotten a few figures that i like that i like i want to kind of exhibit you know i got to find the right exhibition but um because you know it'll it'll be a similar reception i think when it's first exhibited over here. I think there will be people who love it. And I think there will be people who are detractors. Well, the most important is that I always say to my students, the quality of the tree. Right. That's because first, they, many people hate it, hate this style. And they hate, you know, the provocation, like you say. So don't give them something to hit. Right. About showing a shit tree, you know, not ready. Right. 
when you, when you do creation, you have to make a, a perfect support, perfect painting, and, and, a, and a perfect tree. Yeah, I like that. I like figurine, that a lot. Figurine is just like it's already perfect. You know? So everything you do, you know, around around the figurine, have to be as perfect as the figurine. Right. That's a good point. That's a very good point. Uh, and the story. So, the most and, important is the story. And I've noticed, like your your trees, the your your really really famous trees, they took years and years and years to make. They weren't quick creations, and so that's something that I really. I have a hard time expressing to students is uh, I teach a lot of clip and grow, you know, running things out, cutting them back similar to, you know, building proportions, stuff like that. And that's a, a long-term project, you know, that takes a while to kind of start seeing the results. Um, when you go back, you know, it is, it's not that long consider, considering that you never cut the bat. Right. Exactly. So if you look, if you, if you do the, the, the cosmic style, you know, you will see that in five years, you don't have a finished tree, but you have something amazing. Right. It will slip and grow in five years. You just have some uh, uh, something you start. Yeah. 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 It's a. Uh, it's always tricky, you know, trying to get people to to take the long path. But um, yeah. So the next thing, I guess, I, I I guess we'll close out talking about like your personal inspirations like we really one of my favorite parts of your book um both the books is getting to the end of the book and reading about all the things that kind of inspired you and what i found is i've gone down the rabbit hole and found a lot of new artists that i've always meant to check out or maybe had heard of but never gave the time of day so i started reading mobius you, you turned me on to invincible i read invincible um so i've really started kind of reading a lot more than I was and reading a lot of um, classics and really going down the rabbit hole of uh, just new information, new artists. And that that's been equally as cool as like what I got in the first part of the book. So I think um, like, just tell us a little bit about, I mean, we just want to hear about like the comic books that inspired you, like your favorite, what was your favorite comic book growing up? Yeah, I have too many. <laughs> too many. Too many. Yeah. No, yeah. I have too many artists that I love. You know, just like you said, Moebius for me is the king of the of the of the doors. Yeah. Of the world, you know, he's a reference for everybody. Right. And uh, especially his universe is completely sci-fi, and I'm I'm crazy about sci-fi. Yeah, me too. I love Star Wars. I love uh, you know Game of Thrones. I love nice. All the big stories, you know, that completely crazy with with the the human, yeah, but yeah. Human do, you know? But in the, in another another galaxy, it's, I, I love it. And uh, but but I I have so so many references that I I don't know where to start because I I speak about Loisel, for example. Yeah. La Quête de l'Oiseau du Temps. I don't know how to translate in in, in English. But that's a is that one of the French artists that you refer to? The quest, the quest of the the birth of time. I think it's the, okay. But but I have so and and I, I have the same with the with the cinema. I love the Avengers. Yeah, Iron Man. I I think I started when I was probably twelve or thirteen. My first inspiration from comics it was uh, comics from USA. It's Strange, Nova, as a old superhero, Wolverine, 
uh, Deadpool, uh, all the superhero from from American comics. You know? Yeah, yeah. Elk. I was I was crazy about that. Then slowly by slowly, I got to French artists and uh, painters, writers, and then I never stopped because I don't have TV for twenty years. So no I'm kidding. Really, no, no, no. I, I hate TV. I think. Yeah, me too. I... It's melting your brain. Uh, you know, I don't know. There's been a few good things, especially in recent recent years. I just feel like I, I just don't watch a lot of TV. It's uh, especially in the last six months, it's been like very little TV and um, mostly just reading. And that's been been really, really cool. You know, one of the things that I've gotten into recently is hunting down really old books. So books that are over 100 years old or more. And yeah. um yeah, it's been a, a hell of a hobby. So, so, um, but I'm crazy about movie also. Yeah, uh, me too. Me too. I yeah. have a lot of inspiration. Like I said, Tarantino, like Pulp Fiction was one of my favorite movies for years. Big Lebowski, uh, Coen Brothers, for example, are, are crazy for me. Yeah, I love the Coen Brothers. Yeah, they, they, they made a lot of movies that I love. So, a lot of that, like a lot of that pulpy kind of sci-fi weird fiction type stuff um yeah very i think that really strikes a chord with a lot of people um and i think that's why your work is so popular you know i think uh, that actually i'm really i'm really i'm reading someone that i wanted to read for years it's arthur c arthur c clark oh arthur c clark yeah and i'm I'm reading the five volumes i finished the two first volumes oh that's cool and it's amazing it's really and when you imagine that that guy wrote this like 50 years ago, it's like crazy. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, I'm speaking about today. Finally. I might have to check that out. I've been wanting to go back and read some old Isaac Asimov. And um, what I have been reading is I've been going down Asimov the... Asimov is amazing. So. Yeah, I've I been going it. going down the Lovecraft kind of... Uh, Lovecraft is crazy. I'm crazy. crazy. I, I give a lot of... Reference about Cthulhu. Maybe. Yeah, Cthulhu, yeah. And so I've been going down the rabbit hole with that and reading, you know, different uh, different artists of that genre. So it's been it's been fun. It's been a lot of fun. So you really you really kind of started a, a renaissance, you know, in a lot of ways uh, when I got the book. So for the listeners out there, it was it was really interesting. I had heard of Laurent. I first got wind of him in 2019 when I started seeing some pictures of his cosmic bonsai elm that was displayed at Trophy and um, didn't really, I kind of tabled that thought for a while and noticed that he had published a book. And so I asked for the book for Christmas and uh, ended up getting both the books. And so after reading them right away, I was like, I got to reach out to got to reach out to this guy and we got to see if he can come to the U S so we started talking. And so we've materialized that trip. So again, for the listeners that are out there, he's going to be coming to Florida in September and then going up to uh, new England after about a week here. And then he'll be heading down to um, the Louisiana and then out to California so you guys will be able to contact me, uh, Evan, you can reach out to Doyle Saito, um, or you can just uh, message me on the website, www.kitsunebonsai.com. So we'll uh, we'll go ahead and, and keep a lookout for him and give him a warm welcome when he gets here. Um, but Laurent, do you have anything to say to the, the, anything to say before we let you go? 
Yeah, I'm hurry to finish my my house. So. Oh yeah, yeah, the last thing. <laughs> yeah, Lorenz been killing himself building a building a house, building a school. Correct. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. So Lorenz going to be building a school uh, for Cosmic Bonsai, correct? Awesome. Awesome. When do you think that's going to be finished? I think uh, we're hoping outside of 2024, something like that. Oh, awesome. Awesome, my friend. Well, that is awesome news. Well, um, we'll keep uh, we'll keep posted on that. And um, hopefully one of these days I'll be able to come out and take class with you out there. You're welcome. Awesome, my friend. Whenever you want. Thank you guys for listening. And uh, just as you guys can tell, uh, Mike and Laurent had a lot to say, a lot of awesome things to bring up about the world of bonsai and especially in France. Um, if you guys want to head over to cosmicbonesai.com, that's going to be C-O-S-M-I-C bonesai.com. You can go check out Laurent's website. You can go check out his books. Uh, currently over, if you go to his shop, um, at the time of this recording, his comp- Cosmic Bonesai uh, style Burton book one is currently out of print, unfortunately. But the second book is available in both French and English. Um, so you can go pick up those copies there. But also, if you go over to Ketsune Bonsai, uh, Mike has been selling the Cosmic Bonsai's 1 and 2 on his website. And this is the first time that they've been available within the United States. So that's really exciting. Also, uh, just so you guys know, uh, Laurent will be on tour He's going to be here in uh, the United States. That's going to be around October. That's that, at least that's whenever I'm going to be having him here in Louisiana. But I'm aware I'm aware that he will be also in Florida with Mike. Uh, Mike will be doing a workshop and some classes with Laurent. And it's going to be around the Fort Myers area, um, which is very South Florida. If uh, with those who are familiar with that area. And then uh, I will be getting him, I will be getting Laurent here in Louisiana, uh, Folsom, Louisiana, where Underhill Bonsai is. Uh, We will be doing a workshop and meet and greet and just a little bit of a hangout to get to know Laurent. And then from there, from my understanding, he will be in California. I'm not entirely sure which part of California he's going to be in just yet. But uh, for those that are out in that area, um, I'm I'm very sure it's going to be with the bonsai club in that area. So keep an eye, eye and ear out for that. And then also he will end up in the new England States. Uh, from my understanding, I think he's gonna be landing in Boston, but I'm not exactly, exactly sure. Like I said, like with the Cal- California uh, club, which club that's going to be and who's going to be presenting that. So for California and for the new England States, uh, keep an eye out for that. Lorenz, cutting edge bonsai artist his burton style is starting to make a real splash in the bonsai world so i would definitely look into that if you guys want to get ahead and just get into this new unique style of uh what Lorenz saying basically like like bonsai from another planet it's just some really awesome stuff 
very and very um unexpected material for what he's creating with this style um so as far as i know what we're going to be using for the workshop and class over here in louisiana we're going to be using chinese elms which is something that he uses a lot um as well over in france so that's really good uh really good material very flexible very strong so i would say grow yourself out some really long whippy elm trees and twist them up real tight and you know you can do some tropicals too as well and then uh pick up a copy of his book cosmic bonsai and if you're lucky uh enough for him to be in the area where you're where we're hosting these workshops uh maybe you can catch a chance to meet him and then uh do a workshop and really get the finer ins and outs of how how a style works i think it's really cool it's really interesting i think it's it's going to be something that will only get better and progress with time. So I'll be doing uh, the bonsai word of the week. I know it's, uh, it's a little, it's a little weird without having Mike or Carmen here to talk about the bonsai word of the week, but uh, we're going to go ahead and start it off here with uh bonsai word of week is at ama or uh, atama. I'm assuming that's going to be the pronunciation usually uh, with Japanese, uh, translate it from the kanji or the the formal japanese over to uh, english for me to have the translation they just give literal pronunciations of the words uh so this looks like it's atama uh i've chose this one because i really liked the meaning of this bonsai terminology this japanese bonsai word it actually means the crown or the head of a tree and uh, the reason why I like that a lot is because I don't think a lot a lot of people make considerations for the crown or for the head of their bonsai when they are conceptualizing design or or thinking about the finished product whenever it comes to the line of the tree. Because one of the most important things about bonsai design is the line of the tree. And you've probably heard me say this a couple of times in other episodes, but when you're setting the stage for the tree's movement and gesture and emotion, or maybe what the tree is supposed to be predicting, like, I mean, uh, not predicting, uh, projecting kind of, I guess kind of the word I'm looking for, but it's the, it's the image that that the tree is trying to paint in the viewer's eye as a backdrop. All those, all those considerations go into the line is going to give us a better understanding of that. So we start at the Nabari, we go up into the Takagari, and then we go up into the midsection of it, which um, Japanese word for that would be the, uh, the Mune or, or the chest of the tree. Um, that's one, one of the cases where you don't really hear this said a whole lot because that, that anat that human anatomy applied to trees is a little little weird and it's kind of it sounds a little outlandish but when it comes to when people view art and this can be said for bonsai in a lot of cases when it comes to seeing the artistic side of it is that sometimes we kind of project ourselves into things that we see so when you see the nabari we see the feet of the tree we see the um the takagari we see like the legs up into the waist into the the central mune of the of the 
the chest of the tree. So that would be the center, the the the, the beginning of of where the outlying branches would give you the silhouette of the entire tree. And then you get to the top or the uh, the uh, atama, which would be the the crown or the head. And so the reason why I keep emphasizing this more is that when the line comes up from the Nabari, goes into the Takagari, goes through the chest, the middle section of the tree, it needs to stop. It needs a stopping point. And the crown is not only is it a is it an end to the sentence or the expression of the tree, it's also giving us defining height and also propor- sets the proportions for the rest of the tree. So one of the things I see a lot of beginners get into that might be a mistake, they might not be a mistake in their eyes starting out, it might turn into a happy mistake, some like some Bob Ross happy uh, mistake stuff there go- going on with t- having your trees being too tall, is that I see a lot of trees that end up being too tall. And it's that question of how how high does the crown of the tree need to be? Like how tall is too tall? And the crown or the atama sets you up to know just how tall this tree is going to be. And as you build out the tree, how to form that crown to complement the rest of the silhouette back down. And just like I was saying with how we view art, the also the top of the tree is going to give you that, that stop at the top of the image of the tree where you should be able to use your crown to either give a direction or a soft ending to the to the uh the ascension of that tree into the sky because we're gonna do a little bit of uh since we're kind of running like a like a solo thing here with me with this is uh and no one's no one's there to no one's there to tell me that uh that we can change the the topic on this i'm kind of ranting into it now is uh it makes me think of how we view trees from either close up or from far away and how tall is the tree in perspective how if you're standing at the base of it then the tree is as if it's tilted back and so you get a compressed view of the tree so your crown is going to be short and it should have lots of movement it if it's got a harmonious design where the the first branch and the crown are pointing in the first direction um i mean and it's pointing in the same direction of the first branch then you will have a var- very harmonious design this this word is used a lot when a tree feels ease you feel a lot of ease and not not anything out of the ordinary with this tree except for gracefulness um the trunk line is not under any visible stress usually the crown is center over the top of the nabari so you could draw a line from the absolute top of that crown down to where the nabari comes emerges from the ground or from the the soil line of the of the bonsai container and whenever you have that you set up the the peacefulness and the tranquility of this design and you don't have any kind of significant struggle in that so basically you will see this used in a lot of styles such as formal uprights informal uprights or other clump styles or maybe even in very common in like forest or multi-tree plantings where you don't want so much chaos but you can use that crown by moving it in the opposite direction for the flow. So how you do that is that the top of the tree will literally have 
a point where the thickest part of the crown will be moving in the direction that you want the flow to be and it will taper off just like we have just like we have taper in the tree from the top to the bottom or taper in the branches or taper in movement somewhere in the tree if you use that movement you can use that movement to to show in the top of the crown by having a, a segment of the tree that where the crown kind of has this crest and it comes back down you can have less foliage on one side and more foliage on the other side that tapers into a quicker point and that will cause your eye to move in that direction so you can turn it the other way and you can create tension in that design and so you'll get that kind of the tension is going to be indecisiveness of okay the the first branch points to for example to the right and then the crown's going to the left it gives the tree this twisting kind of motion where something's happened where either storm uh maybe human intervention or maybe just struggle of environment something happened to cause the tree to have to change its course in its in its growth pattern or in it, in its development from juvenile to ancient and so that you can use a lot of really interesting things when you're shaping your crown and it, i know it's hard to illustrate with just words and are kind of theater of the mind kind of me trying to paint these pictures with the with these shapes of crowns and tops of trees but another thing to consider with the top or the atama of the tree is pointed versus round crowns as well um just wanted to throw this in there because i thought it was very interesting it was something that i learned very early on in bonsai because i was looking at a lot of books where they were printed in the 60s 70s and 80s and these books were easy to get because books like this were like readily available at libraries or you'll find them in the free bins of like we have like secondhand stores around here uh called second and charles i'm sure there's other store locations in other places uh for those who are not feeling familiar with it for our international listeners uh second and charles is kind of a um it's just like a secondhand big box store kind of combination thing. It's weird, but they have free bins outside of them. And sometimes you'll see giveaway things like where people just have books and stuff. So these books are easy to find. Um, and when you find these older bonsai books, they have a lot of the older ones. The old school style was to have a pointed crown where the top of the, the tree was literally pyramid, pyramid, pyramidal in shape. So because mm -hmm. I mean, it makes a lot of sense for early art and design of bonsai because the triangle or pyramid shape is the strongest shape in bonsai. I mean, not, oh yeah, it would be the strongest shape in bonsai as an art form, but it is the strongest and most stable form in art. And one of the, the most straightforward ways to say it is going to be like, um, look at the Mona Lisa. Now look at the classic portraiture of staging of the Mona Lisa is she's sitting a very she's sitting very upright so her um her flow is very very stat very static very stable she's not in motion she's not moving and her her elbows are out her arms are crossed and you get this really strong triangle um so you get this harmonious design from her because her her gaze is slightly slightly kind of away from you but also her eyes are kind of darted over towards you kind of giving you this this kind of it feels like uh almost like an interview type 
kind of stance like some you're like you see you see her and you're just kind of talking to her kind of like it's almost it's like kind of a casual feel um and so with bonsai we, they they were trying to use this strong triangle shape in bonsai to represent humbleness and big and importance and the stable inviting inviting kind of environment to these trees whereas they found out later on that especially with Japanese masters, they started to consider this pointy top style to be, to be juvenile, to be young growth patterns of trees. And this, this, this came into just being like style, like stylistic of what was popular back in the heyday. Like I would say the golden age of bonsai would for, especially for the United States, at least it is. And I know I talked to, um, I've talked to someone not too long ago about how there was different. Oh yeah. Yeah. There was that episode uh, not too long ago with that. I talked to um, Nick Rosman. We we're talking about uh, early bonsai in uh, Sylvania, uh, Sylvania um, and how there was just like in the sixties and seventies for a while, there was just books. And so that's how people were just doing that as we go pick up these books from the library. Just, I, I thought it was really awesome to find out that his bonsai journey was pretty similar in that way. And so, yeah, you see that transition from the pointy to the round. And so what's the round crown? Why am I kind of going into this so much is that when you have a rounder crown, that's the growth habit of older trees and, and it makes the tree appear to be more ancient is what the thought is. And so if you're pointy, like an alpine pointed Christmas tree kind of shape, that has a tendency to to just have just that look. Is this this pointy pine tree, uh, pine tree style or a juvenile tree? Juvenile trees shoot up really fast. They grow very strong on the top and they have a tendency just to be just to be very, very uh, like uh, that, that. That's that's the word I'm looking for is symmetrical. It just came to mind while I was kind of going into that with that with that top is just older trees tend to be more asymmetrical. And so they're rounder and there is more movement and you can make movement easier with round crowns on bonsai, uh, round tops, or another word, uh, apex is another commonly used word for it. But atama um, is really cool. I like this word. Try to use it next time you're with your bonsai friends at a club or, you know, just kind of looking at your trees to kind of give yourself this this terminology and this glossary to digest and and work with your trees or visualize your trees or whatever you need to do but yeah and big big recommendation and big um advice big advice (laughs) Like, like it's like it's it's not that big. It's I'm just I just use the word big too many times. Um, but my advice to beginners is when you're developing your trees, if your tree keeps going and you, you like, let's say you're growing at the top and you need to kind of find out, like, where do I go from here? Like, do I keep growing the top out and then the tree just gets taller? And then one day I just kind of cut the branch at the top and just make a little crown on it. Like, how's this work? My recommendation and my advice is grow out your tree and whenever you have that taper stops and any kind of movement might stop, cut all of it off until cut all the way down. 
where your taper stops and you go straight, cut it if you can. Now, if you're working with like a conifer, like an evergreen plant, make sure if you're working with Japanese black pine or juniper, can't really just cut the top out of a tree like that and expect it to go over well. You might want to graft or have um, buds down towards the base of that so that you can grow out the crown and then ch chop off your sacrifice later. But for deciduous trees and you know some shrubbing plants and stuff, you can actually cut that off and get your crown compressed and start working on finish the finished height of your bonsai. Um, and honestly, when I started out, a lot of my trees were double the height of what they should have been. So an interesting little fun fact there. I, I've cut just about every single tree in my personal collection. When I started that I've been doing bonsai for quite some time now, I have been reducing the height of all my trees incrementally over time, just trying to compress the crowns, trying to get wider, fatter looking trees, or I'm just trying to get better movement out of my trunk lines. So yeah, don't, don't, don't be scared to cut back and, and make sure that you use your crown to complement your silhouette to complicate, to uh, not overcomplicate uh, my, my sentence there. Uh, but yeah, use the crown to complement the silhouette complement the movement of the tree complement the first branch complement the, the nabari of your tree your crown can even set set the stage for what kind of container you might put it into it's show container one day if that's your ultimate goal with your bone side uh so yeah but yeah if you guys have listened this far into the show thank you so much for listening and i would like to do a couple of shout outs real quick for me and the 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 hosts um like i had said before you can go over and check out Lorentz's website, cosmic, cosmicboneside.com. Go buy a book, buy a shirt, go check out his about page and his gallery and all his other stuff he's got going on. Uh, and he'll be over here in the States pretty soon. For me, you can go over to underhillboneside.com. I am currently doing my best to upgrade and update the web store, which is underhillboneside.store.com, or you can go from the STEM of the the page under hill bonsai and just click on our shop bring you over to the little tiny trees and accessories there we sell uh bonsai tools wire pottery and uh pre-bonsai and even some more developed bonsai pieces um over at our website we ship right now we are only shipping within the united states so um if you guys go over there and look we got plenty of good stuff um and then for mike from Mike Lane, you can go over to ketsunebonsai.com. Mike has his own line of t-shirts that he's been making under his merch section. He also offers seasonal uh, offering offerings as far as classes, and he can travel out on site and work with you on your bonsai if you'd like. Uh, now, this is going to be specified to the Florida area and maybe even to the Gulf Coast area of the United States. Uh, Mike also offers online classes. I'm not sure what he's got going as far as scheduling goes for that right now, but he has been do he has been doing online class offerings. And then also you can go over to uh, Kitsune Bonsai on Instagram, Facebook, and you know I don't know uh, if you can get onto Mike's personal page on Facebook anymore as far as you know his friend list or whatnot. But you can check out some of his stuff there. He shares a lot of his content through his uh, Facebook page as well. Uh, for Carmen Lesko-Viansky, you can go over to the Purple Pot 
society.org. Become a member over there. It's only, uh, I think it was $35, uh, $35 a year. It's just so much good stuff going on over there. They have, uh, they have offerings for learning with other women bonsai artists or just getting more information on just awesome uh, professionals within the, the bonsai community that are both doing, you know, workshops, showing trees, traveling around, teaching, um, and just being part of the bonsai just background and lore of our of our of our community. Um, there is a lot of amazing bonsai artists out there that are women and also supporting of women. So you can you can join, become a member. You don't have to be a woman. You can be an ally. You can be anyone. Um, everyone's welcome. And uh, also, Carmen has Becoming Bonsai on Instagram. This is her personal page where you can see her work. Uh, she is currently apprenticing with Michael Hagedorn over at Curtigas uh, uh, Bonsai in Portland, Oregon. And you can see her work there with his trees and his collection and her training and her what she's learning. She's been there for, I think she's been over there for almost three years. And uh, I've been up and I've visited the garden there. I hung out with Carmen. That's how we basically met, uh, got along, became friends and kind of brewed up this, this show for you guys. Uh, but yeah, awesome stuff over there. Go go check out uh, Cartigas Bonsai uh dot com or not cartigas bonsai but cartigas dot com that's uh so that's hawthorne it's gonna the family name of hawthorne just type that in dot com you go check out um michael hagedorn's portfolio and stuff we've interviewed him in the past on a previous episode really chill guy awesome bonsai artist uh and he's cutting edge just i would say just very similar as to how Laurent is so but yeah thank you guys for listening thanks for hanging out Um, and we will catch you guys on the next one.